this podcast. My topic is how childhood trauma and abuse can affect parenting. And today I have a guest with me. Please. Hello, my name is Maria Beatriz Alvarez, and I'm very, very happy to be my Mary's guest today. Um, so thank you. Sorry if the audio is a bit bad and using headphones. Um, but my first question was like, how does childhood trauma impact mental health and how can like poor mental health impact people's parenting and parenting styles? Childhood trauma um, can affect children even though children are very resilient. So if they do have the opportunity to receive any type of support and treatment, then it can be corrected. But I think the topic we are talking about is untreated trauma in adults that suffer that trauma as children, correct? Yes. Yes. So uh, then they are going to lack some of the resources that other parents may have had when they were growing up. And the very first one, and I think it's related to the topic that you are addressing, is uh, the attachment, a healthy attachment to reliable adults that were able to provide with the needed as they were growing up. So then, unless they have been receiving any other type of support along their development, they are going to lack those resources and to give it to their own children. Absolutely, and I think this definitely ties into intergenerational trauma, as we were able to see through the podcast with Cleo and Cleo's mother, both of whom suffered a lot at the hands of social services and residential schools, some of whom their hearts might have been in the right place, but the execution was extremely poor and caused a lot of suffering on both ends. Um, My second question for Auntie Maria is how do you think traditional healing and spirituality might be able to help those who are struggling with childhood trauma and be able to treat those who are struggling for parenting? Um, many times, particularly in the First Nations, you know, the, um, the traditional healing and the spirituality is connected to community. And there is a sense of family that is not the usual um, Eurocentric uh, type of family or the individualistic capitalist type of family that is the nuclear family what we call the nuclear family I think in um, in uh, conceptions of spirituality and healing that happens in the community anybody can step in to provide that nurturing that the child may have lack of by the direct parents perhaps because the parents were suffering that depression themselves or they didn't know what to give but there is somebody else in the community that can step in there's also wisdom that is being transmitted through uh, through stories that are also teaching ways of living ways of caring ways of being connected to other human beings but also to nature and very strong certainly is the connection of being part of a whole that when you feel that the place where you were raised was not a holding place but you feel that your spirituality is telling you that the universe is your home your holding place then suddenly you may not feel as alone because you are part of that universe 
Absolutely. I remember Christine, which is one of the family members of Cleo, speaking about how she struggled with feeling emptiness and feeling alone, especially because, for example, where her mother Lillian was in a residential school, it may have been easier because she was around more children that looked like her at least. But for for Christine, she was brought up in a completely white household where she was abused. So that feeling of being alone and not having that connection at all was very difficult for her as well. And I think that also ties into having like positive role models who not only positive role models who are kind to you, but maybe having representation. So having someone or having a reliable adult who looks like you, who may have the same struggles as you being around you. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about was hyperarousal when it comes to parenting and how people may respond to different sounds, smells, sights as parents and how that can also affect their children. Yes, hyperarousal it refers when um, you your reaction to certain triggering events that can be sounds, can be smells, can be even memories bring you to that moment where you have been traumatized. So if um, that hyperarousal happens when you are trying to raise a child and the child uh, needs to be comforted and needs to be nurtured, but you do not have that ability because your energy has been diverted to that place of trauma so instead of being present to your baby that is crying and needs you you are actually being thrown it back to your own being a baby being unprotected being unnurtured so you are going to be having very a struggle very little energy to be able to to give it to the little being that you have in front of you so it happened two things sometimes it can be, happen that you can be blocked in a way and not being able to respond at all that is withdrawal or could be that you are going to react in an extreme way. And when you are reacting in an extreme way, you are going to be irritated and you are going to be, um, the, the parents going to react to the child as if the child is offending the parent or is aggra- uh, being aggressive to the, toward the parent and the baby is being a baby. Uh, but the, the parent at the same time is going to be teaching the baby that when the baby has a need, such as being hungry and crying to be fed, the baby may have a parent that is irresponsible. And when the parent is not responsive, the baby says, okay, I don't have anybody to take care of you. The baby is going to repeat that unavailability of the parent. Or when the parent is very, very aggressive, the baby is going to learn to react in a very aggressive way to their own needs when they are not being met. So they can copy the aggression or sometimes they can copy the withdrawal. Absolutely. I think we saw this a lot with Johnny's story as well, where Lillian, Cleo's mother, and Johnny's mother was struggling so much with her depression and all of her issues that she was dealing with that she'd leave all of the children at home and go out drinking and go out doing whatever while her kids were at home. And at times the son the young child would have to go out to look for his mother and it wasn't actually safe for him. So I think a lot of times children end up taking the parenting role 
when it comes to this, but not all the time. I think, my Mary, you mentioned something that reminded me that those behaviors that you mentioned in the mother, is they are behaviors that are seeking somehow compensation and healing so that they are sometimes numbing behavior like drinking or smoking or even withdrawal and, and taking refuge in food but there are ways of um, palliating the emotional pain and that's what the mother was perhaps doing you know, trying to take care of her own pain but not being able to be present to her children and it becomes a whole cycle because then there's a sense of guilt uh, in the mother that is not able to provide for the child and then it goes back to that withdrawal behavior or that palliative behavior that is through any type of substance abuse absolutely so throughout this we also saw that because Lillian was struggling so much to take care of her children, she went to social workers and asked them for help and went to the government seeking refuge in a sense because of how much she was struggling and she got all of her children taken away from her and sorted into foster homes. And now that we are further into the podcast, we now know that she worked hard and she tried a lot to get her kids back but they just wouldn't allow her to have them back. And we've seen the government, especially social work workers, letting these children and these mothers down multiple times. So they, for example, when Christine was suffering at her foster home and called like the human rights kind of movement or center, they dismissed her. We've seen not only in the mother, but in the children as well, them being treated like they were expendable. So the government actually compensated them many years later and said you can get up to $10,000 if you come to the TRRC and speak about your stories. And one of Lillian's children actually think that that's what ended up killing her because reliving that trauma and being forced to speak about that has been was so traumatizing for her that it was just too much for her and i personally think that like handing people money and being like well sorry for all of the years of hurt and pain and suffering that your you and your children will have to go through well here's ten thousand dollars which aren't even half enough for like therapy if they wanted to actually help what do you think about that you mentioned so many things and so many layers. Um, one is the profession of social work. And um, there's so many degrees of training in um, the profession of social work and many perspectives. Some ways that the profession is being practiced is keeping up with the status quo. So basically it's applying this rule and if this family doesn't comply with this rule, then there's no uh, variability and then that becomes re-traumatizing because the system is not humanizing the relationship and is not um, taking into account that what is being shown as a symptom of a person is actually a symptom of a society and a system that has put the person and the family in this particular situation. The way to take that family from that situation is not about giving money as a token for the exchange of a a story that can be perhaps being used again. 
because there's nothing humanizing about that and there's no way to humanize through money you, you humanize through treatment through connections through treating people as human beings and if the government is giving you money to say okay our uh, debt is settled because we are going to compensate but whoever is receiving that money goes to the very same society where those structures have been untouched then what changed the question is no so when you ask me what i think i think that the, it has to be addressed at the um, clinical level certainly but that what we may call pathology is a pathology of a society it's not the pathology of an individual so the one that needs to also heal through policies and through structures that are going to create relationship of justice is also the government on the society where there's going to be continuity and structures that are going to support the development of a whole uh, family and generations of families that have been traumatized by the actions of a government that if they maybe if they didn't do it directly they did not protect their citizens either absolutely thank you so so much thank you maria i hate to close this episode of the podcast but i just wanted to say thank you so much for being here and i think definitely people like you give all of us hope being a social worker who has made a lot of change and who has helped a lot of people and knowing that the aim kind of are not the only level of social work and that this is it's not only black and white but it has many great portions to it and I just wanted to say thank you for being here do you have any final remarks uh, no, it's simply that it's such a pleasure to just talk to you and uh, and I, I do believe that uh, uh, what you are doing uh, is, is part of this leadership of the future that starts today and doing this podcast is a way of leadership too so I'm very grateful to be part of this interview thank you so much now we are at the end of the podcast it went a bit over time but it was definitely worth it um, thank you for listening goodbye